Chinese Basketball Podcast. Uh, it's me, Chris, and Jay Fetter. And we're here to do some interesting conceptual album reviews. Not like out review concept albums, but like we have different concepts about how to review these albums. We are, Jay, you can chime in at any point to describe it too. Yeah, it's so okay we, if you interrupt. We're doing a total of five albums. We're starting with an album that Chris and I are both fond of and we're both that we agree we agree upon before the show to both talk about simultaneously as we talk the show each other. this show <laughs> the big show and then I gave and then I gave Chris an album to review and he gave me an album to review and then finally we chose an album for ourselves so it's a total of five albums and the first album that we agreed to but the both album do, the, the, hold on just to clarify the albums that we gave each other there we didn't do it with any intent behind it other than to see out of curiosity what that person thought of the album. It wasn't like, oh, we think it's politically correct or we, we, we think it applies to now or it's current or this or that. Like, it's musical. It's only musical. We're not doing a certain artist or a... I want to make that fucking disclaimer clear. Like, we're not doing this to align with any... Like, none of these songs or artists... I don't give a fuck about them because of right or left wings. You know we, what I mean? And be, beyond, There's no point of it. Beyond, we're doing it for be, yeah. fun. Beyond being politically correct, though, we're not doing it to appear cultured either. Right, right. We're not Which, doing it. I have fun. a huge problem. I have a huge problem with people that listen to certain music to appear cultured. So we, we started with an album that... First album is going to actually be the soundtrack to the Jordan Peterson podcast. And then we're going <laughs> to review Christ. the Alex Jones soundtrack. And then we're going to uh, square it off with the... Uh, we're going to review the Joe Rogan video where he says the N-word fucking 25 times. Yeah, in fact, those are the albums. In fact, we got those on vinyl. Yeah, the, Joe, the Joe Rogan Joe apology. Rogan. There was like an apology of, on, on Instagram. <laughs> can you imagine? There was a really, better quality. There was you actually can, a really funny uh, you hard times. You know the hard times, thing. right? Yo, Chris, you know the hard times? What is the hard It's time? like the onion, but for like <clears throat> music kind of like more deep cuts of nah. making like fake articles. And there was one about getting different podcasts on vinyl. And it was saying how like the Joe Rogan podcast, like one episode was like fucking like five vinyl. It was like, a, like a triple album and the Mark Maron podcast. Like, yeah, it's a lot harder to listen to the Mark Maron podcast on vinyl. Cause I always usually skip ahead his monologues, but now it's harder cause it's on vinyl. Yeah, exactly. Just to get to the guest. Nobody listens to his intro part on his podcast. He's just ranting about cats and baking and, the state of world affairs. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Okay, so we did... The album is Ain't That Good News by Sam Cooke. It came out in 1964, uh, maybe about 10 months before he was fatally assassinated. The most famous song from the album is A Change Is Gonna Come, which actually, as a single, was not released until we just looked this up 11 days after he was shot. One second. If you don't like Sam Cooke... Turn off our podcast. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to have anybody who's a fan of this podcast and not like Sam Cooke. Or if you, you don't know who he is, go listen to him. And if you refuse or whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck is, whatever the deal is, if you're like minus Sam Cooke, fuck you, get out. Before, before, yeah, before I hand it off to you, just my intro sort of uh, thoughts on the album. I first heard this album probably when I was about 17 or 18. And it was in an era, this album was released like right when the Beatles came to America. 
is an era before the album was considered an art form in itself, like before Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper or What's Going On. Um, however, the way this album kind of flows, it actually does seem pretty well thought out. The first side of it is upbeat soul stompers and like but the, it's still like just songs yeah exactly whereas yeah. the the yeah. second side has almost like a standardy ballad vibe to it it's like a collection of material yeah exactly. instead of instead of like a rush album yeah you know where where you're going song from song connected there is a little bit of flow to it though i will say well i'm sure they assembled it with like the listener in mind like create trying to create mountains and valleys but it, it's not like a beatles album. no it's not it's but not even like, but like the thing that. is early beatles albums are kind of like this in the sense that well, still yeah, not, still, yeah, they were from an era. Yeah. They were the tail end of that era. But this is still leaps and bounds like ahead of maybe some 50s albums, which they were totally just hodgepodge of a couple singles and just filler. This album, there's a few songs that do kind of come off as filler, but it, none of it's like complete total filler, I would say. Yeah, well, Sam, I think Sam Cooke is one of those artists where it's like he's incapable, like his shittiest crap is like someone else's gold. Well, here's the thing. It's not that the songs are all great. It's the fact that he's just such a great singer. Yeah, it's like... So he, that saves it. When you're un, when you're that unparalleled, like, it's, it's like... It's like if you ever have a friend when you're growing up who's just like, you know, exponentially better than you at something, you automatically, inherently look up to them and you're in awe of what they do. Sam Cooke sings to you like that. Like, there's something when you when you're listening to him, he's familiar... But you know that he's better than you. I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm a good singer, and like there, I know tons of people who are great singers. But like Sam Cooke is better than all of us, and like when you can, you know, run an album off full of collected songs, and they're they're just all nearly flawless, except for one or two here and there, and those aren't bad. It's just ridiculous. Like it's it's that's unheard of nowadays. It's unheard of back when he was around. That's why he is who he was, and is. Yeah, it's just sad because this album, as far as album craft, this and Nightbeat. I know you don't like Nightbeat, Chris, but it's that's Nightbeat is actually considered one of the first concept albums in, ter in terms. Of yeah, that theme. had a theme, and like, yeah, yeah. It was all songs meant to be listened to at night it was sort of like a night vibe. This is less of a theme kind of album, but I kind of like that it has like two sides. The first side is kind of upbeat. The second side is more ballady, standardy. Uh, he just, he was going to go really far. I really do wonder what he would have done had he not died when he did. Because uh, he died in 1964 and that was a pivotal year in, in popular music. That's when the Beatles came to America and the British invasion happened. Everything just kind of changed. Um, and society started to change too then. So he kind of died at such an odd time. And it's kind of a shame, but, you know, luckily there were plenty of people that did groundbreaking shit in soul music. I mean, Mar he did pave the way for Marvin Gaye and Otis Redding and countless other singers. I mean, he paved the way for the Rolling Stones, arguably, too, in some ways as well. At least he was an influence on them. Yeah, I think he, I think in, like, what you're speaking on, he's, he, he although everybody, like, knows Sam Cooke and appreciates Sam Cooke, or most everybody, like, he's still underappreciated. Oh, I totally agree. Like, the fabric that makes up songwriting, he's so, um, it's like, it's like, it, he's absolutely vital. When, when people speak about people like Bob Dylan without speaking about people like Sam Cooke, or speaking, it's people speak about, you know, a modern artist, like a really prolific, good modern artist in a completely different regard, like a Jay-Z, and they don't speak about Sam Cooke, or they talk about like a Mariah Carey and they don't speak about Sam Cooke or they, anybody you can mention and you don't speak about Sam Cooke, you're wrong. It's like, 
when you look at what his contribution to the music business, like the industry, like the quality and, and, and actual like, you know, musicality that he was involved in everything, his overall tone and sound, what his ethic and moral statement was, aside from some fucking tribulations like everybody has, like it's one of the most epic artists of all time. And I, I like I personally think this is one of his best albums. I think like the the songs that make up the first half of this album, which we're gonna go through in a second, I think are like they're it's not about their dynamics. It's not about like man, that fucking baseline slaps. It's none of that shit. Like they're just good fucking songs. Oh yeah, and he's just he's just so in control of his voice and his delivery is just un unsurpassed. Yeah, and the well, and the and people don't realize it, but the lyrics are so honest. They're so like they're so unbridled. There's no there's no bullshit attached to them. I tend to speak in metaphor and you know say things like that are very say elaborate things to make other people get the impression that I'm smart. When the proof is in the pudding, as much as it is with Sam Cooke, like you can say things like. You know, you know, I'll always be your slave until I'm buried in my grave, you know, and bring it on home to me and shit like that. It's like that you, you if someone else said that, it would be like, why did that guy write that lyric? That's childish. And he was just so far ahead. And he is when, the know, man like, who invented soul. He wasn't the man who invented R&B, rhythm and blues. All that shit has been around way longer than he was even alive. But soul music, he was the originator of this genre. There wouldn't, it wouldn't have existed or been the same without him, no matter what. And I don't think white audiences would have listened to this music if it weren't for Sam Cooke, at least in the, as soon as they did or the way they did. He did. His goal was to unite, basically have an integrated audience. And a lot of people think that's what maybe led to his demise. Not commercially, but mortally. So without further ado, Chris, do you want to start with the first track? Well, we can just go through these first few tracks. Um, I don't know how it's split up on on sides. Jay can tell you that, but I'm just looking at I, just so if anybody wants to look along, I, as if we have a million fucking listeners. Um, all of you out there, all of you out there, all of you out there. Uh, we're gonna do it in this order, I guess. Ain't that good news? Meet me at Mary's place. Good times. Rome wasn't built in a day. Another Saturday night, Tennessee Walt. A change is gonna come. Falling in love. Home. Sitting in the sun. There'll be no second time. And then finally, the riddle song. Um, ain't that good news is the title yeah. track one thing really quick is some of these tracks I don't think either of us will have like much to say about so we can kind of just mill through some of them uh, well one of these is like I think one of the most necessary songs in music but we'll get to that mm -hmm. ain't that good news it's the title title track and if you look at the album cover he's wearing like a you know a perfectly white unbuttoned to the second button shirt or whatever the fuck it is it's Teeth are white as fucking the shirt. Okay, just as a little trivia, though, really quick. Like, the album cover, not the album itself, but just the picture of it that is of Sam Cooke, was weirdly uh, in Workaholics. The fucking show Workaholics, I think the character Anders had the poster of Sam Cooke, the same picture of him as a poster behind his desk, which is really one of the most random places for Sam Cooke to appear. Just thought I would note that. That's like a, uh, what do you call those like things? Like a, 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 like a hidden... Easter egg. It's an Easter yeah, egg. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was an Easter egg. Yeah. That was like an Easter, uh, that was like an Easter hard-boiled egg. When I noticed that, I don't even watch Workaholics anymore, but when I did watch that season of Workaholics, I noticed that it kind of blew me away that that was on there. Um, I do think the, t the opening track, Ain't That Good News, is 
it's not like the most standout track from the album, but it's such a perfect intro. Like the the sort of like the bongos, tempo, the like tempo the and the swing. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the that's like it, yeah. yeah the, the beat at the intro, like the intro is just like and the horns. That horn session that when he's doing the my baby's coming home tomorrow the second time and it's in between each it's like kind of call and response yeah exactly it sounds like um it just sounds gospely and it's like it's it's like a pop version of what he grew up doing oh also if you haven't heard his his gospel group uh you should listen to Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirrers. Oh, that's, um, that's some, arguably his best stuff that's vocally. a whole other thing. We'll do that in another episode at some point for some reason. But if you... I don't know if that's on Spotify or whatever. That's neither here nor there. But go listen to that. It's when he was like... I don't know. What was he? 17 or some shit like that? He's, God, who knows? He, he looks... I mean, he looks prepubescent when he... There's pictures of him with all these like grown-ass men in suits. And he's just, you know, wailing. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyways, so Ain't That Good News, great way to open an album. Another another thought about Ain't That Good News is the intro, I think, paved the way for Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Like, it's a very similar sounding intro. Maybe. Um, But yeah, go on, Chris. I just think that's, I mean, that's the most important part. I think he was just trying to, like, get you, like, he always poses like that with his arms open. Like, come over, listen. Yeah, it's it's very confident, but not... Well, it's like, come on, come on and hear what I have to it's say. It's like a friendly confidence, and it's not ego- egotistical. He's he's telling you how, how, think, how it is. Yeah, he's pretty blunt and just... Well, he has a very... And he's asking you a question, way. too. He's like, you know, you know, like when you say ain't that good news, you're waiting for the audience to go, yeah, that's great fucking news, well, you know? The, the way... I've always thought that, even though they're different, the way that Sam Cooke sings is very... There's like an objectivity to it, whereas the way that Marvin Gaye sang was a little more subjective. I don't I don't really know how to say that, but Sam, Sam Cooke seemed like he was completely in control. Marvin Gaye was more... Well, he was showing... More, more emotional. Yeah, well, no, I think Marvin Gaye was showing more deliberate vulnerability, yeah. whereas Sam Cooke was showing more showmanship. Yeah, that's a good point. That's actually... You're completely knocking out of the park with that. Because like, Marvin Gaye wasn't... He was kind of an iffy showman. In all... You know, in the 60s and 70s when Sly or Marvin or any of them would try to go rough, they're doing the wailings that his early gospel shit was doing. But, like, the... Anyways, he he, he was much, a much more controlled singer and a showman-style singer. He, I, I, like, I, almost like a, a gritty Nat King Cole. Oh, that that's actually very astute. So the next track is Meet Me at Mary's Place. I think it kind of just, it kind of picks up the momentum of the first track. I don't really have much to say about it. It's just a great track. This is my friend Travis's. I showed my friend Travis this track when I, you know, when I first rediscovered Sam Cooke and he heard it and like almost lost it. Yeah, it's, it's an unbelievable track floored. too. Meet Me at Mary's Place is great. I don't really have any specific. Because there's that note at the end. It's that when he does that, does that, what? Whatever the fuck it is, I don't even know what the fuck it is. He kind of just belts it out at one point towards the end. It's in that over and Mary's place, and then it's like, ah, but it's it's, really, really high, and it's like just unbelievable. Because his isn't falsetto. He's it's just he's fucking going completely in on it. But that's a good pop song. It's a that's a great second song on a on a collection of fucking songs. The first side is very well sequenced. I like meet me at Mary's place. Like he's telling you. He's telling you he's been invited to a party and he wants you to come along. Like after he's confirmed that things are great and that's good news, he wants you to go to the party. The first and second song are done and he's confirmed things are good and he wants you to come to the party. Imagine 
someone as handsome as Sam Cooke and as wonderful as Sam Cooke singing those concepts to you. Like, you don't need albums like, like, I love Revolver by the Beatles, and I use this on, as, a, as, a, as a staunch example. Like, you don't need albums that are that deep when you have an album like this. Like, you don't have to dig with Sam Cooke. There's n- it's all right there. Yeah, that's his whole thing. It's, it's completely there. It's like you you there's no paleontology, there's no fossils. It's like it's literally like stepping in the ocean and seeing a fucking megalodon. It's like but it's, it's like, like going in the ocean where the water is clear and not yeah, working. Yeah, you don't have to look for shit. It's Absolutely. Like, and you know, just, he invites you to the party and what do you have at the party? This song specifically and it's like it's just the best song. Like it uh, I'm gonna play it. I don't care if we get sued. Everybody... Fifteen seconds. It's okay. I mean, no words. Cause so he didn't even say any like actual lyrical concepts at that point, and that's already like, name your favorite artist, and he's like thrown him in the trash. You know, it's yeah. like it's just ridiculous. And when somebody says, come on and let the good times roll, we're going to stay here till we soothe our souls if it takes all night long. That's like letting you know we're going to go, you know, meet at Mary's place. And however long we're here, we're going to satiate ourselves and it's going to be fucking fantastic. There's a lot of songs that promise good times and hedonism. But this, this promises genuine euphoria that's like sustainable in a way. There's something about the way the song and those bells begins. Yeah, it's like some way the the way the song kicks off and it goes into the vocal. It it doesn't just like the lyrics are not even what it does. It it's just like it just sounds like like pure euphoria. Like whatever that was for you, like the first time you had sex, the first time you fell in love, the first time you smoked weed, whatever like gave you really big euphoria when you were like really young. That's what it sounds like to me. Like when you're having this like really young youth, like youthful euphoria. Uh, the Rolling Stones also did a cover of that song, and I actually heard their version first. And honestly, his version is obviously way better, but they don't. Their cover is actually pretty good too. It's just different. I just don't even have like. I, it's one of those songs like you don't even need to break it down. Like it. it, it it's it, so good. It's you know like like you can't beat you can't beat uh, um like what's that Doobie Brothers song uh, the. It's called Listen to the Music, right? I think, I don't know, just the go with whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, listen to the music or whatever the fuck it so, is. Yeah. Like, that's one of the ones. It, the song is telling you to enjoy the music. It's dumb how good of a time good times brings. Like, it's just ridiculous. I, I like, I, you know, I, I'm going to review an album later that I'm talking about in a personal way how much it means to me. But this song is just, it, it might as well be on that album. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the next song, Jay, you can dive in. I have to get some water. It's called Rome Wasn't Built in a Day. Yeah, Rome Wasn't Built in a Day. Uh, one Point was my favorite track on the album, but I do think Good Times, at least how it sounds, it makes me feel... my balls, everybody! At least how it makes me feel, I prefer Good Times. However, Rome Wasn't Built in a Day, you know, it's pretty clear. Everyone knows that expression. You got to be patient. You can't expect things to happen right away. It's a song that rallies against instant gratification. Especially, I mean, it's probably more relevant today than it is than it was 55 years ago. 
because now we're so impatient. We're, we expect everything at our fingertips to happen right away. And if people just don't have patience for stuff, but I think it can, I think of it as a planting seed song. It's like you meet, you meet a girl, you have, a, you know, you, you feel something, but you don't, rush into it you don't shoot your shot you just you like let it marinate a little bit and he says that he just the lyrics are so articulate and his delivery as always is so articulate but i think this song can also be applied to other things in life not just love but also career and just life in general and how we don't know what the hell is going on yeah i think i think i think he meant it like you know with when i think he wrote love songs so his probably intention was to say that, like, you know, when he says, you know that I love you, babe, with all my heart, it's like, oh, I I think he probably wrote it to maybe his, I don't know, I, I don't remember his relationship status. Was he married? Or he was married, he, uh, but I do think he might have meant it in a broader way than just to his wife, straight like, love. Just, no, not even love necessarily, because I think in 1964, most songs were love songs. So he, he was only writing love songs because they were commercial, but I'm sure he might have had bigger concepts and had he lived longer he might have you know gone the stevie wonder route and you know written songs that weren't just love songs you know? sure i i mean i i feel like these uh like the like the there's a lyric what does he say the it's in the it's in the third verse how would Romeo? I think maybe it's the second one. How, How would Romeo feel of his Juliet? I turned down his advances and played hard to get. Exactly. Him. That's such a good like. That's so fucking cheesy, but it's so good. And the way he does it, the that little like high run that he goes on the. That whole run is so dumb. And then he says, "Because where there's life, there's hope." And he does the. Yeah, that's just fucking just like. Wah! I mean, all his stuff where he does the real high. All, I, it, it's like I hesitate to call it timbrous because it's not but it's like all that real high shit where he's not falsetto and he's just like ah! it's like just like oh my god because you don't want that kind of abrasion but like he was able again to just do it right and uh, I mean I think that shit's fucking crazy next song is uh or what are we on? Another, Another Saturday, Saturday night? night, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's classic Sam Cooke. Classic song. It's People know this song. It's it's probably a song he couldn't really relate to, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure he's experienced that feeling before, so he knows enough to write about it. But it's about being alone on a Saturday night. You got money. You just got paid. But you have no woman to share it with. So you're like, and maybe you're in a new town and you don't know anybody. So you're all by yourself and so you're, you're just lamenting. and just beat off. Yeah, he just beat off. And this is, you know, at this point, he's using his imagination. Yeah. So, what do you think Sam Cooke beat off to? I mean, where where do you think he beat off? you think he beat off in the toilet, in the shower, in the bed? He'd be thinking, I bet he beat off standing. Oh, it's like a power move? like the, Yeah. He probably beat off to all kinds of shit. But at the same time, I wonder how much he actually beat off because he, he was Sam Cooke. He might have not even had that much time to beat off. I don't know. That's a good song. Um, the the I don't. I think the next track is the final song on the first upbeat, more pop side. Tennessee Waltz is always been my least favorite from this side because I just feel like there's something missing from this. I can't really tell you. It, it's a cover. I'm pretty sure. It's just goofy. It's just kind of goofy. It's good. It's I mean, it's, it's like good. It's, it's him. I mean, it's it's 
he does some vocal stuff again, some of that Whaley stuff where it's like just obviously gospel incorporated into what he's doing. And like those moments, he can almost like build songs around. I just feel like this is the point in the album where it does. It kind of drops. It loses its. Except the next song and then it really drops. Yeah, exactly. But there's a couple. I mean, there's a few more songs I really like on this album, but the first side is such a solid run until Tennessee Waltz. Not that Tennessee Waltz is a bad song, but it just doesn't have the same. You know when you go on a hike and then like you get to the summit and you like look at the view and then you realize you have to go all the way back? Yeah, yeah. That's what this album is. Kind of, yeah. But I think this part is the part where I think Tennessee Waltz is when you're about to get to the top and you're like, fuck, like you're just like, you're completely beat. Yeah, it's like your last step. You realize how out of shape you are. Yeah. And then you get to the peak. Change is going to come is like the view. And then you get to change is going to come, which I believe is the first song on side two. And that is totally the peak of the album. It's his most well-known song by today's standards. That and what's his other that you send me, Cupid. You send me. Uh, what are his biggest away. songs? Twisting the yeah, Night Away yeah. is pretty big, yeah. but it's hard to say because what his biggest songs were at the time might be different than what has been. What's oh, what's that song that they teach all the kids? Uh, don't know much about his. Oh yeah, yeah, Wonderful World. Wo- That's wonderful a huge world is song. Huge. Chain Gang is somewhat popular. That's a great song. Chain Similar Gang. Similar to Wonderful World, though. Uh, the thing about Change is Gonna Come is there's really not much we can say. It's a civil rights anthem that he was inspired to write having listened to Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. What's the B-side to Change is Gonna Come on another album that lights turn way You know the down funny thing low. is Change is Gonna Come was the B-side. So that song, That's Where It's At was the original single? I think so. It's There's a lot of cases of this in popular music where the A-side was like not that good and the B-side was... Because I think That's Where It's At's good. But compare, I don't know if it's That's Where It's At was the A-side. But... The A side I remember was kind maybe of maybe you bring me you maybe you bring I think it, it might be Shake I think Shake or whatever might be the A side that's a bad song and this is the B side whatever I remember is a, a lackluster kind of dancey song is the A side and Change is gonna come is the B side and just to reiterate we're not a research podcast so we're just we're kind of going off memory here I am at least but it I don't know I the very first time I ever did Acid. And never actually got decent acid enough to feel Where it. Where were you? I was in my parents' house. And they were not home. Because I had done it How once old? before. I was 18. The very first time I actually had done it, <sighs> I was with some people at the college I dropped out of, but I barely felt it. We went to Walmart and got wine. It was so shitty. This is in North Carolina. But the first time I actually what? did it, the very first time I actually did acid and it felt good and I actually like really got it, I had some and I took one tab. <laughs> And dude, hold on. I'm laughing about you said it was in you said it was in North Carolina and we went to Walmart and got yeah, wine. Yeah, we took a bus from the college because it was like in the middle of nowhere to Walmart. Do you pay for the bus? I don't remember. It was oh, a god bus. damn. It yeah, was like a so shitty what? Bus. It was a shitty bus. That's like, what I'm in, saying. Like, the Appalachian Mountain somewhere. Oh, fuck. yeah, yeah. So it was a bizarre night. But my point is, months later, I, I finally took a decent dose, like a, de- a quality. And I listened to it, and I was shitting, I remember. <laughs> and I was listening to, like, one of those, like, old iPod docks. You put, like, the iPod on a dock. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Changes in the Calm came <laughs> on Shuffle, and I, like, started crying. Like, I, I don't, it was, like, kind of, it was, like, sadness. Wow, for, you like, were pooping? The, yeah, it was, like, sad. It was, like, you know, with the songs, you know, it's a civil rights ha- anthem, and it was, and I'm not, this is not me fucking like bragging about having an emotional attachment. This is like, I just felt that like it was, it was a beautiful moment. Um, like was, when you were shitting, it was yeah, a beautiful moment? You know, I was shitting, but you know, whatever, who cares? You think about I civil think, rights when you're shitting? 
I do. <laughs> you trying? <laughs> oh no, Chris, don't go there. <laughs> uh, uh, I like his. This is a, a clear case of the original version being the most superior version. I think his version is much better than the Otis Redding version, which was actually, I think, a bigger hit at the time. I really like the temp when he does songs in this swing and tempo. Like, Bring It On Home to Me, A Change Is Gonna Come. Um, what did I just say? That's Where It's At. Mm-hmm. What, there's another one like that. What are the other You songs? Send Me? Kind of no. No, that are like, that you know, that... that I, I can't think of one off the bat. But... It's the same tempo. I like when he's at that tempo because mm-hmm. it gives him a lot of room to exercise his voice. And I, obviously, a change is going to come when he's going when he does that whole when he does the shape notes, those approach notes, the born when he says born, and then he bluntly says river and he cuts it off and lets the the snare drop. Like I mean, it musically is brilliant. I mean, it's like. There's a reason that song's so big, and it's powerful. I, I mean, I'm going to say all the stereotypical shit because that exists for a reason. It's, it, that shit's accurate. Like, it's a great song. When people go and sing it on American Idol, they probably shouldn't. Yeah, he really was the only one who should have sung, sung, sung that he's song. Because so, he's a gospel singer. What people don't realize is, like, when you're singing Aretha Franklin or Sam Cooke or, or a lot of those singers... Separate from someone, like, when you're sing When you sing, like, Montel Jordan... And I'm not, I'm not sure, obviously, of Montel Jordan's full vocal capability. But when you're singing, this is how we do it, it's not the same as, like, <clears throat> going, like, ah! You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just not. Or, like, when you do, um, sorry, that was a bad example. But, like, when you hear, like, I love, uh, what's that dance group I like? Uh, like, Shalimar. Shalimar. Yeah. Like, the guys, the guy singer in that is a great vocalist. I believe his name is Howard. Like, but th- like, there's, there's, it's in a completely different multiverse than Sam Cooke. Like, there's two or three guys before we move on to the rest of these, like, kind of the trail off of this album. There's two or three guys that are in this realm of singer. In my, in my opinion, and Sam Cooke's one of them. We mentioned Marvin Gaye earlier. There's a couple others, but like uh, one of them, I'm gonna save for later. But like, he, this guy might be the best male singer. Like, if you're talking about all the qualities of a voice, all the dimensions, he might be the best male singer who's ever lived. That being said, go deeper into side two, and there's actually a couple songs I really dig on side two beyond "Change Is Gonna Come." But the next two songs, "Falling in Love" and "When Shadows Fall," are kind of lackluster. American Standard, Nat King Cole shit. Yeah, like not that. No, Nat King Cole is great. All respect to him. Yeah, it's just the kind of I don't know. They're they're lackluster. But moving on. I mean, do you have anything to say about those two tracks? I mean, we mentioned that like Sam, when Sham went, if Sam Cook was to take Cooke. a shit, if he like if he was to take a shit and give you the toilet paper, that's going to be better than like you know the best uh, one of his contemporary songs. He's that good. So I'm not. We are not saying by any means falling in love and home. Uh, parentheses when shadows fall are bad songs, but they're just bad for him. Exactly. Well. I don't think his delivery is bad. I just think the songs themselves and the arrangements are kind yeah, of boring. Yeah, you compare and it to yeah. like good times. It's, exactly. It's, not it's a forgettable. Good. It's just yeah. a forgettable song. But when you move on to Sitting in the, Sitting sun. In the sun, even though it's similar to the previous two tracks, there's I'm something about it. I'm going to put Jay on the it. spot. I need to hear you sing the... the 
Sitting in the sun. Pardon. Sitting in the sun, counting my money. There you go. All right. So that that song, I know there's something very like it's a you know I don't know if you wrote it, but it's but that's very, the first boss line. It is. It's very boss. It's very like I've arrived. I'm I'm like I've made it. Not boss, bitch. Like I own my own music. I'm here. Yeah, it's very and it's so sad because it's like he's singing this song and he was he died. You no. Know, Less than a year later. Yeah, I don't mean boss like, yeah, son. I mean, like, actually, like, he owned his own music. He had made it. That's what I mean. Like, was he, he was the a only boss. black artist at that point. I think maybe. Going on to that, there'll be no second time. I don't have a comment. But the very last song, I actually really do dig. Um, yeah, you can say that. stuff about it. The Riddle song, I really liked. It's, I think it's a cover. It it's was, pretty fucking poignant. But it's very poignant. His mm-hmm. son had drowned, I think, only in his own pool when somebody wasn't watching, like, only six months before uh, the recording of this album, or at least the release of this album. And a horrible tragedy affected his life in inconceivable ways. He's the true, like, voice-as-an-instrument guy. Oh, yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's the real, like... Because everybody's just doing Sam Cooke. Forever. Like, I don't care what you're singing. Like, you can be... Like, we said Jason Mraz is the worst artist. He's influenced by Sam Cooke. And they're the complete opposite poles yes. of, of quality. <laughs> and, like, you look at... You listen to Whitney Houston. She's heavily influenced by Sam Cooke. I, I just... You're any... We're, wow, we talked about this for a while. It's been, like... Sam Cooke deserves way minutes. more of our time, but we're going to move on pretty soon. What are um, you going to say? Do you have any final verdict? Any You want to rate it out of five stars? Any... I mean, that's a five... It's five stars. I don't care what the second half of the album is like. The songs, Ain't That Good News, Meet Me at Mary's Place, Good Times, The Best. Rome Wasn't Built in a Day, probably two. Um, another Saturday Night, Tennessee Waltz, and a change is going to come. Arguably, Tennessee Waltz and Ain't That Good News in that list, but all those songs I just said are all... Ridic- yeah. like insane I think most albums that would have a few filler songs in my opinion at the end would not give me five stars I'm not going to give it five stars because of that but I wouldn't even give it four and a half stars this album I am giving four and a half stars because everything else is so strong and you know it's in an era where albums didn't even really matter that much for, so for an album for this time that's actually a higher rating for me because at that era mostly singles mattered more um, I, it, I, I'm just such a sucker for good times and Rome oh, wasn't yeah, built in Oh, yeah, but those songs are fucking 20 out of 5 stars. I mean, those, those songs are like 100 out of 10. Yeah, they like carry those. so much weight, I can't I can't oh, yeah. even reduce it a star. But I, I'm not really, I'd say four and a half stars on <clears> the <throat> album, but the best tracks are all 5 stars. Okay, so... I'm getting really... Yeah. I got to say on a final note, not for the sake of comedy, but I'm getting really weird ads in the You Might Also Like section when I pulled up Sam Cooke. Like, yeah. shit that I'm not sure that I even want to say. Like, it's just fucking weird. Anyways. Okay, so Chris gave me an album. Uh, I really love this album. I, it's like the only album in that genre that I'm absolutely crazy about other than this band's other albums. Uh, my friend Billy and I, who's very good friends with Jay too, we freak out about this shit constantly. Uh, I don't care what you're into. This is one of those bands that if you try to give them a little bit of your ears access there's going to be some sort of moment where you find that they're good. Like, they're objectively good. There might be parts that you don't like, but they're just not bad. Uh, I don't care. So the, the album that Chris gave me is Violent Sleep of Reason by Meshuggah. I don't know what kind of metal it's considered. 
Because I'm not. I mean, metal. we'll just call it metal. They don't even know what kind of metal it's considered. Like yeah. they as in Meshuggah. They're Swedish. I actually, before I looked them up, thought they were Jewish because the name Meshuggah. It's Yiddish, right? I think so, yeah. Meshuggah is Yiddish. I forget what Meshuggah is, but. I think it means chaos. Well, Meshuggah is like, oh, you're so crazy in an endearing way. Yeah. Like, you're so silly and crazy. Um, it's like basically almost like saying neurotic, but more playful. So I never, I, I've listened to, I've never really listened to much metal in my life. My closest brush with metal is like new metal and like rap rock, like fucking, you know, Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park when I was like nine years old. Distinctively different. Very different. But that was like my, my closest I've ever come to listening to metal actively. Or like heavy, what's this called? Heavy music yeah, in th general. This album I've, I've, I honestly, Chris expected me to find it to be very abrasive and that really wasn't the issue for me with the album. In fact, I'm actually going to go ahead and say what my rating is before I even break it down. I would say this album is a three out of five for me. So three out of five is an album that is not, it doesn't bother me. In fact, I might respect it, but I just kind of got bored. My whole thing with this album is I found at certain times I got a little bit bored because I felt it to be a little repetitive at times. But Abrasion, no. In fact, there were tracks I did like. It starts with Clockwork. I wrote, this makes me horny. Um, it's kind of like metal trap music, but better. At least like the beat or the, like, the rhythm of it. Um, I don't really have much, I don't know nothing really about the band except they're Swedish. Born in Dissonance was my favorite track on the album. It makes me want to... so heavy. That was a really... That was a good track. And I do think if I listen to this album again, I might like it a little bit more. And maybe I would even say three and a half stars. That shit's so heavy. Yeah, Born in Dissonance, it makes me want to play like a Sonic the Hedgehog game. <laughs> and like drink a lot of caffeine or like eat a lot of candy. Like it brings me back <laughs> to playing like those games like as a kid. They'd I'm sure if you if uh, if Meshuggah heard that that'd be fucking they they'd fuck with that. That sounds yeah. Because um, that's like amped. It's like fucking like. Wah! Yeah. Like, no. It, it was like these songs. A couple. A few of these songs made me really fucking pumped. Just like I said, Clockwork made me horny. Like it was like pure like adrenaline, like energetic uppers, caffeine music for me. And I. Some of the tracks I really liked, and I think sometimes when I first hear an album, I don't like it as much because I'm kind of just trying to get through it, but certain tracks did stick out. Moving on, Monstrosity, the third track, kind of boring and repetitive to me, didn't really stand out. Same with um, By the Ton was the next track. I, I, I wrote that, it reminded me of being like like out of it in a supermarket late at night, which it doesn't like actually sound like music they would play at a supermarket, but it, it made me seem like, you know, you go someplace because you're hungry, you're either high or just tired or you've been drinking and you're just desperate to get food, but you're more hungry than, than like the level of energy you have to go to that place. So you're just like out of it trying to get it over with. And that's yeah. what it made me feel like. I spent oh, many yeah. nights at 7-Eleven on, uh, what in our old neighborhood, the one on... Uh, Palms and um, Palms and National. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is it no, 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 not Palms and National. On um, yeah, Palms and or Overland and National. Overland and National. Yeah, Overland and National. Or Overland and Palms. The one in Overland and Palms. Yeah. Overland and Palms, which what, becomes National. But, but yeah. what about it? I spent so many nights like in there where that that was my feeling like, like. Just, you know what track I'm talking about? Blah. Yeah, of course. Moving on to the title track, "Violent Sleep of Reason." The intro kind of reminded me of Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. Really? Like, ba -dum -bum -bum -ba -dum -ba. It didn't actually sound like that, but I forget. 
This is what I wrote. You know, I can't really remember. I love hearing a review from somebody who like like doesn't doesn't like listen to like this style of music at all. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear like an innocent sort of. Well, no, like blank slate. your interpretation of like this sonic gradient at all. Like, well, the I'm a whole, blank slate. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the vocal in this song sounds very strange. It kind of made my, like, in Violent Sleeper Reason, the vocal in this kind of made my throat hurt. It sounds like he's straining a lot. Uh, it also sounded like boss battle music in a video game. Like, it would be perfect to listen to if you're, like, in the middle of a, like, muting your TV and then putting this over the boss like battle. Like Bowser? Yeah, like Bowser or Dr. Eggman or any boss in any video Dude, game. Dr. Eggman? Dr. Robotnik. And... So I kind of like this track. I, I just thought it was a little too long. The rest of the tracks, I don't know. I think at this point I was kind of like, okay, I have to listen to some other albums. So I was kind of like rushing the last few. And I was I was waiting to pick up a Grubhub order that was like the longest I ever waited <laughs> at this Japanese restaurant across from Chris's apartment. And I, Ivory Tower also, this all kind of reminded me of video games for whatever reason. So Ivory Tower reminded me of running away in a video game. Like you're being chased. Almost like James Bond, or not James Bond, uh, Indiana Jones style, Temple of Doom. Next song, Stifled. I love the outro at the end. It was kind of like a more relaxed, right? It's kind of like classical sound. It's kind of like piano, yeah. right? If I remember. I, I can't. I, I have I, horrible short term memory. I can't remember. Um, hold on, let me, let's, let's hear it. They won't yeah, let's it. play Stifled. They won't give the very, a shit. Let's play the end of Stifle. They're not going to give a shit if we play Well, they're also movie. Swedish, so they probably hate Spotify. That's okay. They're not going to do shit. But let's play the... I think if I'm thinking correctly, it's like a guitar outro. This, yeah. You mean it's like a strings outro? I don't even know what that I'm is. I'm pretty sure they're just a, that's an affected guitar. Oh, okay. I like, I like the outro, and, and then the segue of this into the, into the I believe the final track, Into Decay, and then like the segue into Into Decay. We'll let it play until then. How much is left? Let's skip ahead. You can just talk over this. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, like, I really like this. It's not just because it doesn't sound like everything else, because I feel like that's maybe how this opinion comes across. I do like what they do with this in relation to stifled and how it leads into into decay the sugar don't sue us this is too good to turn off plus i like it this shows that they have a sweet side to them an introspective side uh. Oh, it's Nostrum is the next track, actually, not Into Decay. Ow! That's just fucking filthy. See, watching Chris lose it over this makes me appreciate it more, but when I'm just by myself listening to this, I can't fully appreciate it. Alright, I think they'll... I think we're good. Dude, that sounds like killing pirates. Kind of, yeah. 
So anyway, that's really all I have to say. My only oh, what I was in the verdict fun. is shit makes me feel like Ric Flair on cocaine, dude. If I were to listen to this again, I might rate it higher. But just based on my first listen, I'd give it like three max, three and a half stars out of five. So I didn't dis. There's a couple tracks I liked. Well, the next song is the best to. track on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, but I, don't, I really didn't have much to say. I just said I did the. I think I said I did the intro. Yeah, I did the intro on this. Is what I said of Indie Decay. So I like that. But that's really all I have to say about this. And Chris, if you want to move on to the album I gave you. Yeah, Jay gave me... Um, completely different. The Ronettes. It's called... Uh, presenting. This is a very New york kind of Jewish choice, I It's guess. called Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica. Such a different title from the last album. It came out in 1964. Uh, it was produced by Phil Spector. Phil Spector. Um, and uh, it's actually really short. So, like, first, when I heard it, because I'm like, I can't stand a lot of music. First, when I heard it, I was like skipping through tracks, you know, with the, with like that kind of mindset where it's like, I'm going to dislike this. I'm going to dislike this. Skip. I'm going to dislike this. Skip. I'm going to dislike this. And then I went back and I looked like I was looking at Chapel of Love. I don't know if that's their version or the original. It's not the um, original. Oh, so it's just their version? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a dope song on this album. But I, I noticed that the song, the total cumulative, you know, running time was only 36 minutes. I was like, oh, I'm just going to let the fucking thing run. Um and like my my verdict didn't change hugely but like when i actually listen to these songs complete which is something i don't usually do if i have a pretense build up against something or if i have like a uh uh what do you call, what would you call that like a, a notion that i've come up with inside my own mind prejudice yeah whatever form of prejudice everybody has it but i have it more um, Especially with music. Yeah, I have a lot of it with music. Oh, um, yeah. I, I I don't know if, it, if it's necessarily prejudice. I just have very... An, it's not a narrow scope. I have a narrow, like, open door. Like, my window is very wide and open. But my door is very closed. Yeah, because Chris, you you can name most artists. And he'll know who, who they are. Yeah, I, I like, I'm, I'm versed in most artists, but, like, I don't like most artists. Yeah, he hates 98% of music. But this album is actually better than I thought. I don't think, I will not think, I, I don't think it's incredible, but I think it's better than good. And before going into it, I thought it was going to be less than okay. Um... And it that this is because of two songs. I have to refer back to my notes because I can't remember shit. Hold on. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to read my notes. Because nobody needs to hear like me try to sound articulate or like form sentences. I said it was <laughs> cinematic. Fuck it. Fuck it. I said it's cinematic Motown with less butt and hips. Which is basically what it is. You know, like... It's like the best songs on the, on the album, in, in my opinion, are like kind of like stompers. But they're not like gospel stompers. They're really tight and concise and organized. They're not, you know, like we talked about Sam Cooke. They're not that kind where, you know, that Jesus gave me water. It's not like that shit. It's not like that kind of shit. It's very like, um, dum, 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 is a huge beat throughout all of it. There's castanets. Uh, I mean, it's like extremely cinematic, but it's not like my shit. It, uh, I wrote, this is a funny thing I wrote. I wrote, it sounds like ice cream parlor polished business people meeting black barbershop owners but are female. <laughs> um, and then I said, it sounds like, like, <laughs> I said, I mean, I just, 
And then, go, I like this. Uh, and then I said hopelessly hoping. Like it sounds like you oh, know, like, like crossing souls and edge though. No, no, that's helplessly hoping. Yeah, I know. Uh, but like, like almost like like a like eighties tongue in cheek romance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, that was. Way Six, after yeah, this, this came out sixty like, four, I think. Also, same time as ain't that good news? Um, musically, which is like what threw me off the most is it's always on top of the beat. It's never behind. It's never in front. And I imagine that's to keep it having a tailored sound to keep it sound polished. But in the same thing I mentioned, where about about who it sounds like it's meeting, I said it sounds like the dry clean version of black female fronted gospel. <laughs> like taking the like those records and putting them on the dry clean rack and letting them go around. Just yeah, like, yeah. Because it sounds so prim and proper. Yeah, yeah. But you can tell that that singer, if she wanted to let it rip, she could probably let it rip. But it wouldn't necessarily be like, uh, like um, like I mentioned, and this is like Sister Rosetta Tharp or mm-hmm. Thorpe, however the fuck you pronounce yeah, yeah, her name. Yeah. Like, when you see her rocking back and forth with her guitar in those black and white videos, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I think it's just a different kind of thing it's, for me, yeah. It, it lacks a certain drive. I'm not saying music can't be soft. I'm not saying music can't be touchy. But this, as stomping as it is, like the when when they do the dun, 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 gosh, dun, 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 gosh, and then the, there's the, you know, the, the high end and the rain going through it all, like... It sounds so full to not be heavier. Mm-hmm. There's a, a like a bass presence that's lacking, um, and a lot of like female gospel or like female groups, they had like in it. You know, like the Supremes. We and we brought up like um, even Ella Fitzgerald. Like when she would sing, there was like it wasn't masculine, but it had like a it had more, like, girth to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. And I'm not saying it has to be like that. Anyways, I don't know. Let's read yeah, more what, going, what I wrote. Going. I don't know what the fuck I wrote. Uh, <laughs> my, my favorite part is the backing vocals and the supporting melodies. I like that more than any of the lead melodies. The wahs and the echoes and the callbacks. Yeah. I think that shit is more important to the sound of that music. There's a song, I'm So Young, and the, the backing vocals are the best part of that song, for sure. I mean, there's definitely moments where it's like... You feel like you're in a place, and to me, what I, why I like this, and I'll let you keep going. Why I love this album, I love her voice, but I, to me, I don't view her as a soul singer. I she she kind of started singing soul before Phil Spector, but Phil Spector was like doing his own brand of like Jewish New York move to L.A. like music, and it, to me, it's just like a whole different thing. And that's why I love this music. I don't know what it is about this album, but I just love most of the tracks on this album. There's something about it that just... It's polished, and maybe it's like less like soulful, but that's not what makes me love this album, is how soulful it is. It's the arrangements and just like... Well, yeah, it shit like, doesn't have to be Aretha Franklin every time. It's sort of how Warped it almost is, too, because how obsessed Phil Spector was with trying to get the perfect takes on everything and just trying to get like this weird sound that had never been heard before. I also want to say, like, it's the clear predecessor to the Beach Boys. Oh, wow. That, that's a known thing. I mean, Brian Wilson's biggest influence was like, Spectre. Even, but no, even the way the melodies weave, it just, it, it was so obvious. Like, it's so, it's so obvious when you listen. Uh, the song I liked the most was I Wonder. That's a great song. 
because it seems like a, a like a, a, a they were trying to write another stomp style hit, mm-hmm. but they did something else. After "Be My Baby," you mean? Yeah, or, yeah. No, that, well, that's a great track. I wonder. I mean, "Be My Baby" be. is like incredible, but it's like timeless. It's, I mean, it's such just, a timeless. I've heard song. it so much. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think I wrote this. I think this is the mo- like one of the most things that like struck me the most. The patterns that they're using for the percussion, mm-hmm. not the actual like instrumentation in terms of notation, but like the patterns they're using. They sound very Ennio Morricone. What is that? Oh, we mean like the composer. The the castanets like that. It all sounds very Western. And I don't know if that's intentional, but like when they're doing the when they're doing the like the night I met I I knew I needed you so part like the dun dun those are castanets. And it sounds really like like I don't know why that is or how that fits, but like that was something I noticed, and that's obviously not Western music. Like, when you hear the Ronettes, you're not like, oh, yeah, Clint Eastwood. You know, like, you're not, it's not, but, like, something in my mind clicked with that. The very end of Be My Baby, like, the outro with the drums is, like, there's something about that that's just so powerful. I don't know how to explain it, but the very, the, the very outro, everyone always talks about the intro of Be My Baby. The outro, there's something special going on with the drums, too. And I can't really explain what it is, but you might be able to if you heard it again. What I'm referring to. What let's the see. very ending part of "Be My Baby" I fucking love. So everybody knows the, the outro. Always talk the intro. Hold on. A little earlier, actually. The f- is that you're talking about a fill they do? A little earlier, maybe. Yeah, just like the. Those are just fills. Yeah, the fills are fucking great. Those are fills across the toms. They, like, that, yeah, that right there. I mean, I don't even. That was a tap on the snare. I know that wasn't a fill right there, but I'm just saying. Like, that was a fill. Um, anything else in your notes or? I don't know where I just put my phone, bro. Okay, there we go. Um, I have a couple things left in my notes. It seems like the goal in these songs was to apex with the chorus, <clears throat> repeating one line in between the interplay of the castanets increasing mm-hmm. and an echoed backing vocal actually being the lead thing people would grasp onto. They're actually like latched onto the, you know, and, and the, and the. Oh, absolutely. I don't think they're waiting for the, be my baby now. Like, oh, yeah, I, don't yeah, think yeah. That, I don't think that's important. Yeah. Like I don't like, like the, I think what's important is the, dum, 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 that's fundamental in all those songs, like half that, half that record. And then, if she says like if if the lead singer goes needed you so like and the the backing vocals have to go needed you so you know what I mean it has to be like that and that the way that exercises in this group is like uh it's like what was the term like a predicate or whatever like or like uh what do you call it like when you set like the bar for something is that I think yeah I think so or like, like precedent precedent that's yeah. what I mean. predicate predicate. <laughs> I think that's a term used for like the tenses of words. Is dumbass. We mm-hmm. learned like first grade or second yeah. grade. But I, oh, and I also noticed that like I th- I imagine that this contributed to Dion Warwick. Like uh, I feel like the back her background sounds a little less heavy sounding than this. A little less meaty. But the melodies. Yeah. Yeah, melody wise, there's some similarities, and there's also they love using like 
horns and stuff in Baccarat. This is like, I feel like that is like the easy version, like the easygoing lounge version of this. Yeah, it's like the more adult contemporary version of this, which is more aimed at was more aimed at youth at the time. But I, I like, I didn't hate this album. I thought it was gonna be like a, um, I, I thought it was gonna be like between a four and six. I would probably give it just above a six. Uh, the one song, I wonder, and then obviously be my baby. You know, I mean, if you don't like like. If you don't like like walking in the rain and be my baby, like just like in terms of it coming on and like you having like if you have an adverse reaction to that song, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those songs where it's like and I mean, dude. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't really That I really love you, baby, which is towards the beginning. No, no, do I love you? Do I love like you? you can't, do I love you? You can't argue with this shit. Like it's not. It's not like trying to be. It's trying to be only what it is. It's singular. It sounds singular. Um, even though if it influenced a lot of other stuff after it. But yeah, the album. Yeah, the album was is is better than I imagined. Yeah. I, I'm glad I didn't do the Beach Boys album. Yeah. Those are kind of in a similar wheelhouse, to be honest. This has to be better than the Beach Boys. As a whole, I think this is a better album. I just think this album, it's again, kind of like Ain't That Good News. It came out in 64 before albums are really taken seriously. But I love most of the tracks on this album. I do think there's a couple of filler, but I just, I don't know. It has this like weird energy to it that I can't really describe. It's beyond, I can't, I'm not going to break it down in any kind of musical terms, but there's this like, it makes me feel like I'm in some like Freemasonry sauna. Like some of these songs, because of like because song, I say Sonic because Dude, that's so bizarre. Because the wall, well, the wall of sound obviously has this like echoey. They used echo, you know, like a really it's echoey. Very room. broad, exactly. Yeah, it's like so the echo part makes sense for like the sauna part, but the the reason I say like Freemason sauna is there's something about I think it's uh, you baby. Just play the intro to you baby. This is not make might not make any sense to anyone. Well, they also. Can't tell on the phone. Yeah, it sounds like shit on going into the speaker from this. But the intro to this song, not really when the vocals come in, before the vocals come in, it reminds me of like a weird like like bank vault being opened and like then like locked really securely. Well, it's just wide open percussion. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. Like, there's something very like cryptic about it to me. Even though remember it's in Ducktales yeah. at the beginning when they all jump into the big safe. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so... Alright, so yeah, then the last two albums we're gonna do are albums we each chose. For but, ourselves. Yeah. So... But we don't know... We don't really... We, we kind of know, we kind of don't know. Eilish record. Would you make a weird noise with your tongue? What noise did you make again? Yeah. Try to make it again. Get the new Billy No, what, what did you do with your tongue though? You stuck your tongue out before you did that? That's weird as fuck. I don't know anymore, because it just happened naturally. You know what we should get? Hmm. So, so you know how we were doing um, bag ASMR? the bag ASMR? I want to rate Ziggy's poop bags oh, God. as the bag. So there's no poop is this, in is here. Is this an intermission? This is just... Okay. So, yeah. Bring you should out. go out and buy the new Billie Eilish record. Someone sounds kind of... It's okay. I'll give it like a three and a half out of five. What was that? 
That's how you just made it. Okay. That was a Billie Eilish record. So the, you just downloaded. <laughs> so I've been. I don't know. I guess I chose some pop stuff today. I mean, the one the Sam Cooke album. Chris actually chose for both of us, but I just felt like I would move on. Choose another somewhat pop album. I now we're in the '80s. Songs from the Big Chair by Tears for Fears. It opens with the you know the famous song Shout. I think it was inspired by Primal Scream Therapy from like the seventies. The one it's the very same thing that John Lennon had done. Um, it just sounds like the song Shout. You might know it's one of their biggest hits. It's not as big as some of their other hits, but it's big. It's very like cathartic and like you know it just sounds like you're just trying to let out your anger, let out whatever you're feeling. And you're like at the gym though. It's like a very kind of gym friendly song. Well, it's big sounding. It's very big sounding. It's very this whole album is very big eighties. Especially Tears for Fears though. They had they sound immensely large. Oh yeah, and Shout is a great intro. I mean, it's it's a great song. But then the the second track is not a song that I think a lot of people have heard because I don't think it was even released as a single or ever on mainstream radio. It's called The Working Hour. And I remember I first heard this song when I first actually listened to this album all the way through. I was just like driving home from like like hooking up with this girl, and like I was like driving home at like six in the morning down Ventura Boulevard, and everything like half the things weren't open yet. And it was like you know the working hour like really sounds like a song you would hear at the start of a day, maybe the beginning of a movie, as like businesses are like starting to open their doors, turn the lights on, and it has this really bombastic progressive intro that it, it just has this kind of like 80s kind of like it doesn't really even sound British it almost sounds more like Japanese in a way because you know in the 80s I really associate the 80s with Japan because that was when they were killing it um, so Working Hour is honestly probably the most underrated track on this album because nobody really knows it and it's fucking fantastic uh, you know, this that goes into their most famous song and their best song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Which Arguably the greatest pop song ever. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I didn't grow up with 80s music at all because I was born in 92. My parents didn't ever play me 80s music. It wasn't until I played Grand Theft Auto Vice City that I heard 80s music, to be honest, because I just wasn't exposed to it. I heard 50s music, 60s music, 70s music. I even heard 90s and 2000s music but I never really heard 80s music as a little kid so I didn't really discover this album until I was probably in my late teens early 20s maybe even mid 20s is the first time I heard it all the way through and it a lot of the, the best tracks blew me away but everybody wants to rule the world I had heard before listening to the whole album it is a song about the materialism of the 80s kind of the you know the 80s were the yuppie era and a lot of people listen to this song as like an anthem for like trying to be successful when in reality they were having it was a commentary on that and like quite criticizing critiquing the excess of the 1980s and it is just such a fucking banger i mean it's just like i chris is right i don't know if i can think of a better pop song period it's just it's just so... I can listen to this song over and over again it's and so not get catchy. sick of it. It's so catchy and I don't get sick and of it. And it feels good. It feels good and the music video is so ridiculous. 
it's I think it was shot in Arizona or somewhere in like near Palms, somewhere in the desert. Yeah, the swing of it though feels so good. Like and you can listen to it over and fucking over again. It, have you ever seen the music video <clears> for <throat> it? It's like shot in the desert ago. in the desert and there's like these two kind of like nation of Islam guys with sunglasses on dancing. <laughs> no. And there's like a little kid like on a trike, I think. It's like very bizarre. It's very kind of like surreal, campy. Um, and that goes into the next song, Mother's Talk. Mother's Talk is a little bit of a lull to me. It's a, it's less gripping than the last few tracks. It sounds like it's a lot more like like new wave and less poppy. It sounds like if you ever watch like PBS in the 80s or 90s, like a diversity video when they're showing like a rainbow of like young adults and children like dancing in a room together and there's like a kid in a wheelchair, like a token paraplegic kid. That's what that song kind of Jesus sounds like to me. Christ, so you know what I mean? Like that was token very big in the era. Yeah, yeah. Because in every '80s and '90s diversity poster, like sort of like PSA type thing, there's always a kid in a wheelchair. Like one kid in a wheelchair. There's never two kids in a wheelchair. There's never zero kids in a wheelchair. Always one kid in a wheelchair. It's always a guy. It's never a girl. Um. Some others talk. It's. I still think it's not a bad song, but it's not. It's a little weaker than the last two, and that goes into "I Believe," which is a really good brooding. It's like kind of the ultimate brooding song that somebody sings or listens to as they're walking alone, depressed at night, along a bridge, and like kind of considering to kill themselves. But it really captures. It really captures that energy. Uh, Broken is not really a pro. I don't think Broken is even really if it's a proper track or not because it's the song that segues into the next track. It's a, it's, I call it a Richard Simmons intro to Head Over Heels. Broken kind of sounds Richard Simmonsy. It's very like an '80s workout sounding song. But the thing is, like these '80s sounds that people associate with like '80s motifs, Tears for Fears just knocks them out of the park better than anybody else. And Head Over Heels is one of the other big tracks on the album. And it's, when I first heard the song, I thought it was a little too effeminate in a way. And I say effeminate not in the pejorative way, but it just, it was like too, like, kind of, I don't know, I thought it was a little too soft in, a, in the wrong way. But then I, I've heard it again, and it is actually a fucking banger. It's a fucking great song. And the way that it kind of ties in with Broken is really good. And it, the song ends on a very inter- the album ends on a very interesting song called "Listen," which is pretty long. It's kind of like a meditation sounding song with all the kind of Japanese vibes. And I don't know this this album just has like such a dense like feel and vibe to it. It's kind of I like it for similar reasons to how I like the Ronettes album that we just talked about. It has just like it just gives me so many different emotions when I listen to it. I just feel so much and not even emotions I can really put into regular words like happy, sad, or, or whatever. It's like words I can't describe. I'll give this four and a half stars. I think everything so far except for the Meshuggah album is four and a half stars for me. None of these are my five star albums, but I've even the Meshuggah album I liked. I just I just didn't something I would listen to normally. So that's all I have to say about Tears for Fears. So lastly, uh, I chose I mean I have a couple favorite songs and albums, but like I'm not sure if they're my true favorite, but this is the one I always go back to. And it's I'm Still in Love with You by Al Green. I rediscovered this album when I went to Record Surplus in Los Angeles, like in West LA, when it was on Pico still. Is it still on Pico? I don't know. Um, no, it's on Santa Monica now. 
I went there and bought this, um, and the cover art says it all. It's Al Green joyously sitting in fucking wicker furniture. <laughs> like, just, he looks like, he looks like the song Love and Happiness. He, he's wearing a white suit. I mean, he looks unbelievable. There's nice plants behind him, and the font is good. Like, everything's fucking great. Um, when I saw this album, I went home with my now fiance. And we listened to it and proceeded to not stop listening to it. And I've never stopped listening to it since. I grew up with my dad listening to Al Green's greatest hits. And just over any other artist, I I feel more joy listening to Al Green. And I can feel a greater let go when I listen to Al Green. Like, if you listen to music to let go, the one, the one guy can really do that with is Al Green. Period. Whether I'm trying to sing along or whether it's just me enjoying him like unanalyzed enjoyment uh, but the first song is i'm still in love with you which is the title track that goes without saying i mean everybody knows that song it's like the same same level of popularity as let's stay together i think he has a string of you know on his greatest hits album i think that got big enough that everybody knows you know the love and happiness i'm still in love with you let's stay together take me to the river which is more unfortunate than those songs um etc cetera, etc cetera. But I'm still in love with you. Love and happiness too. Love that, yeah. Love and happiness, which is on this album as well. To start off an album with those chords and that type of feeling is so sexy. It's so like sensual. It is also so serene. That's three S words. It's also like extremely comfortable, but like in 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 a way that is almost spiritually inviting the only juxtaposition i've ever heard where something sounds totally godly and absolutely lustful at the same time like where where i mean his sound in general algorithm in general and this is a shining example of it where he's saying something like it's it's on the loving side of of loveliness it's not on the lustful side of loveliness i'm saying i'm still in love with you i'd like to be with you but like the way he sings, it just sounds like he's on the small of your back. I'm glad your mind is a different tempo. And it's just exclaiming the joy of like when you're in love. I can relate to this. I've been in the same relationship happily for a long fucking time. What I just mentioned is I rediscover this album with said person. Until she throws grits at you. Yeah, it throws grits at me. When Karina yeah. throws grits at you, you're not going to listen to this album anymore. Yeah, that happened to Al Green. Burning grits. Um, but I'm glad your mind is one of those songs where like, if you don't want to hear the popular songs and I'm, I'm glad your mind is a good song to go with. Cause it's like, it has a real Al Green feel that like a lot of artists tried to cap, you know, encapsulate later on, like D'Angelo and a lot of other people, there's a groove in it. There's like that, that Willie Mitchell sound, but it's also Willie Mitchell was his producer and a lot of the produce, the lot, he produced a lot of the high records, but I'm glad your mind is one of those. It's not. I, w- I wouldn't even call any of his songs B sides. It's just one of those other songs on the album that are not enormous, um, and it just feels so good. Um, the way he says words, the like, well, the way he says the word "baby" in it, it's just like, oh. oh. <clears throat> Jay mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, the love and happiness. It's like top. It's there with. It's there with everybody wants to rule the world. It's it's not a pop song, but it is because it's become so popular. But it's like it's arguably one of the best songs of all time. Yeah, that was actually considered to be the ending song for The Sopranos. Really? Not the, for the finale because they ended up using "Don't Stop Believing," 
which it wasn't a matter of what's the best song. It was just a matter of what song clicks for this scene. Yeah. But originally, his consideration was love and happiness. That's really for weird. the ending. Yeah, the I can't even imagine. I can't scene, even imagine for the final scene. But don't stop believing fit way better. Oh, well, for that yeah. Final scene. You yeah. need something cokey. Like yeah, exactly. Like whacked out. Love and happiness is cokey, but it's not. well. It's also don't stop believing is so overplayed, which is part of the reason David Chase chose it, and also. It has a yeah, but also it's like sentimental, and it's also like the whole family is together. The Soprano family is all sitting together for possibly the last time. Spoiler alert. And then <clears throat> one of my favorite songs in the album, "The Love and Happiness," is. I mean, I don't even need to say anything about it. Uh, there shouldn't be anybody on earth that's above the age of fifteen who hasn't heard "Love and Happiness." If you're above the age of fifteen. If your parents haven't played it for you and you're above the age of like 12, find it on your own and fucking listen. If you're above 30 and you haven't heard it, you're doing something fucking wrong. Something's really, really wrong. If you haven't heard Love and Happiness by the time you're an actual adult adult, there's something really, really wrong. I bet you there's so many goddamn people who have not heard it in this valley that we're in right now that are our age. That's real. That's awful. I'm sure. But, okay, so the next song, like I said, is arguably my favorite song on the album. It's called What a Wonderful Thing Love Is. And it's just a, it's just a, a core love song. Like, it's the swing, the feel, the lyrics, the way he says words, his phrasing in terms of the way the melody fits in the song, the tonalities. There's nothing about it that doesn't make you feel like falling in love. Like Sam Cooke in the sense where there's a performance level to it, but Al Green also had vulnerability. He had this hyper sensational, like almost like Christian vulnerability. Like he had demons, but also had angels at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. It sounds so corny when I say it, but like if you're a fan of his, you know exactly what I mean. And without effort, in an album where he's singing a sincere, sincere love song, it still sounds like he's going to reach inside your pants. It's just, it's crazy. And then that goes into the ballad of the album, which is simply beautiful. Uh, it's like extremely organic, broken down. I don't like using the word like acoustic, you know, because it's not necessarily like what it is in terms of like derivative, but like it's the most broken down, bare bones song on the album. And he does some crazy shit vocally. Um, Right, it's just a, that's an incredible song. The statement in it, simply beautiful. You can't go wrong with that. As a man looking at a woman, if they're simply beautiful, whatever. I mean, like, what are you gonna say? Like, this is the time you play Al Green. You you fucking fall more in love and fuck. And the woman's wearing like one of those really nice sundresses, and the guy is wearing like a nice pair of like brown pants that are slightly beat up, and you just fucking eat each other out and shit. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like it's just like. He does. You, that's. Do you get eaten that, Chris? Yeah, I fucking put my legs up and I have, you know, put my legs up and Ramon comes little, over. Little analingus? Yeah. Just from Ramon. Um, Ramon, the porn star? No, like Ramon. Like, like the, from which Ramon? The guy that lives on Moore Park. Who? He's oh, homeless. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's part is worthless. It will be cut out. And then. Pretty Woman, which is a cover of Roy Orbison, which is like that he took it and put funk in it, so it's not just like him 
<laughs> as a as Al Green covering Roy Orbison. It's just it's actually like Al Green's version of the Roy Orbison song. The Roy Orbison song is undeniable, but this song's better. Um, next song I believe is a Chris Christopherson cover. I'm not sure. I don't want to take the time to look it up, but. If that's true, good. If I got that wrong, that's wrong. But I for th- the good times, yeah, I think it's that's a, Chris, a great song. I think though. it's a Chris Christopherson. I've cover. only heard the Al Green version. That's a great. That's song. basically my and my fiance's song. It's the best love ballad. When Al Green comes in and he opens it up and he says, "Don't look so sad. I know it's over, but life goes on." Like that's Al Green says that to you the way he says it to you. There is nothing more assuring than that. It's like the fucking. The top floor of being reassured. That's a great line. Like, it's just, he's the, it's the penthouse of reassurance. <laughs> he's like, it's like, and when he does that, when he does that one part where he does the falsetto run at the end, where he says, yeah, but he like, you know, goes, I mean, I, I, whatever. But for the good times is, for the good times and what a wonderful thing love is are, are just two, like, if you're looking for love songs, those are them. You know? Those are them. Look, What You've Done For Me is really cool. Like, if you get bored with Al Green songs, this is really cool because Willie Mitchell and Al Green and that band did something cool with, like, the the mood here. And, like, they used some different chords. It's still funky. It's still, like, backbeat. It's still that sound. But, like, the chords are different. So Al Green's doing some interesting interpolations with his voice and, like, his tones. Um, some of which like are classic falsetto Al Green and that head voice that's super touchy feels like you know a vibrator in your butt but like some of it's like he's <laughs> switching to big high notes that are weird and pinchy and it's it that song feels really good too the only song on the album I would put below maybe an 8 out of 10 is one of these good old days one of these good old days just because I, I haven't ever fallen in love with it in the way yeah. these other songs are I don't know why that is I don't know if he put it last because he feels like like I'll just put all these good songs and nobody's even going to bother getting to the end. They'll get like sick of all these good songs. And honestly, Al Green might be the only artist ever where you can like, you have to stop listening because you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is so much good shit over and over and over and over. Like there's no break. I think it might be good for him to include, like it's almost like he's taking his foot off the gas. Like not like he's breaking, but he's releasing the gas. Mm -hmm. And I think... Like, that's all I really had to say about that last piece of that album, but I really wish he put For the Good Times at the end. Yeah, you know, and it, which, what's interesting is actually out of all your reviews, this is the one that was the far least technical. This is your most from the heart, I think, out of all of your reviews. That's But that's what Al Green is. Yeah, absolutely. Like so I, yeah. I, I, I don't have... I don't. Yeah. I have no need to justify Al liking Al Green for any fucking reason. Like, if you don't like Al Green, you're an idiot. But you got more technical with Sam Cooke, is what I'm saying. You're with when we reviewed Sam. Oh, Cooke, I, I felt like that was just because we had. I had somebody had to mention his singing ability. Yeah, for sure. Al Green is just as good of a singer, but like, in my opinion, he is. Al Green brings you this joy. Sam Cooke brings you joy. But Al Green, when you see him smile like on the cover of that album and you hear his music, it's like breathing in Pleasantville through your ears. Pleasantville. It's just, it's uh, like, no, there's just, it's like, ah, you know, it's just like that fucking, 
angels and yeah. caramel. Give me holy water and Reese's peanut butter cups. It's like it's like having, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. indulgence and spirituality at the same time. Bring me like bring me you know a short haired Latina porn star, <laughs> sugar, and then short haired Latina porn, and then and then you know a really good doctor, and that's to me Al Green. Kennedy died way too young. He would have got a new experience that had he lived longer. Imagine if JFK had lived in the porn era. You know, if JKK, J, JFK lived, there would be probably like a white pride band called like JFKKK. I'm sure they had, yeah. I mean, you think there is? I mean, it, it had nothing to do with his death. I mean, the dead Kennedy. Think about how the dead Kennedys would have never existed had JFK never died. Because I don't think RFK would have Oh, died. I wish he never died. <laughs> well, the name would have just been different, maybe. Dude, the dead Kennedys are so fucking bad. You Hold think on. his name would still be Jello Biafra? If the JFK had been not assassinated, let's listen to like ten seconds of the Dead Kennedys and just end this podcast. We didn't plan this. Let's end this podcast with each of us impersonating the singer of the Dead Jello Kennedys. Jello Biafra. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is fucking horrible. You suck, Jello Biafra, or whatever the fuck your name is. The Dead Kennedys are dog shit. If you like punk, gotta take away Dead Kennedys from the list. Like, just take it away. You know, I mean, how about that? It's not good. You know, like, don't listen to it. Like, listen to this fucking nonsense, dude. Holly in Cambodia. I, I actually I added this song to my playlist for the year that I was traveling. When I was traveling, I was in Cambodia. And I listened to this. I had, you had to listen to this song when you were in Cambodia. Oh, this is... Yeah, yeah, you have to listen to this when you're in Cambodia. I mean, it's not a good song, but I actually like it. Okay, song. do a vocal impression of him. It's a holiday in Cambodia. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's a holiday in Cambodia.